Well, you guys, um, thank you for coming out this morning. Welcome to winter. I think that um, the Lord is good no matter what the temperature is, right? <laughs> good. Let's pray as we get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for your Word this morning. We give you praise, honor, and glory. We worship you because you are holy. We thank you because you're good, and we praise you because you are great. Lord, may, may every single day uh, that we gather today, every single day that we gather as a family, may your name be made great. Every man be brought low in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, this morning I wanted to start by um, discussing the well-ordered mind. The well-ordered mind. Um, sometimes people wonder, like, what in the world's going on with my life? Well, if you boil it all the way down, you'll find that it's a way of thinking. It's a mindset. And uh, this is not, believe it or not, a TED Talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is actually a biblical directives, a wisdom that God has given us, His children, because this is the means by which He has determined certain ends. He has throughout scriptures it's like when you buy a mazda i tell you every week the day you buy a car you drive around you wonder why everybody else has the same car you're driving you never notice so many mazdas on the road right and then sorry when you buy your own mazda you can drive around and you see so many mazdas everywhere isn't it so funny not the accent your accent but the fact that the principle of it and in the same way, when you go to the scriptures, you see the Lord say something, and then suddenly you see the Lord saying the same thing everywhere else. So when you look into scriptures regarding a well-ordered mind, you will find from the beginning all the way to the end, God addresses the mind. Satan didn't give you a mind. Satan didn't give you imagination. He didn't, he didn't order what you have. No, he's attempting to distract so the Word of God speaks to us with great clarity and persistence about our minds and our thought life. We are encouraged throughout Scriptures to renew our mind, to have our minds stayed on Him. If anything is praiseworthy, to think of these things, to take thoughts captive, And pull every thought down that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Make it submitted to Christ. To guard our hearts and our minds. Something to be guarded. To be renewed in the spirit of our minds. To have the same mindset that was in Christ now need to be in us. To, be, to, to, to set our minds on things above, it says. To love God with our mind. To be sober-minded. To gird up the loins of our minds. Scripture not just encourages us towards having well-ordered minds and having accurate focuses. Because focus is the elimination of, of everything else, right? That's what focus is when we eliminate everything else. And what the dev devil wants you to do is to eliminate the focus and be distracted with everything else in life. That's why people don't have time for the things of God. It's not that they don't have time. They just have other things that are more important to them, right? And so not only does scripture encourages us towards having a well-ordered mind, it actually warns us to watch out for a double mind, for a blinded mind, for a depraved mind, a debased mind, and evil thoughts that come from the heart of man. 
So we can go on and on and on. I'm amazed at how much the Bible has to say about how we ought to treat our minds, guard our minds. But we go mindlessly through life not knowing that this very rudder in life, not just the tongue but the mind also, is oftentimes taken captive by the world, the flesh, or the devil. And if the world, the flesh, or the devil can capture your mind, he can capture your attention, therefore he can capture your desires and your emotions, and therefore he can capture your heart. And when he captures that, he has your life. Now this is not a salvation issue. This is just a person might be saved, but for, for whatever reason, they can't get their life together. And they become like a dislocated shoulder. It's not like it's not there. It's just no longer functioning. You can't use it. it you, now your whole entire morning, you know, trying to put your socks on with a dislocated shoulder. You know how difficult life becomes? In the same way, if you have an unrenewed mind, you become like a dislocated Christian. Like, yeah, you're there. Everybody else has to care for you <laughs> because, you know, like everybody else has to cater towards this one, this one part of the body that's dislocated and in absolute pain and agony. The whole body hurts because this one person has a completely uh, devastated mindset. So don't think for a moment that a person's messed up mind doesn't bring pain to everybody else. So today, I would simply like to highlight how our minds are connected to certain outcomes. Before I do that, I want to check this mic again. Is that okay? No? No, okay, good. At least it's there. So I'd like for us to look at all the connections to the mind. Because if we realize how everything else is connected to the mind and how the mind um, determines so much in our lives, we might just take it more serious. And when we realize that there's no possible way to iron out a wrinkled mind other than through going to scriptures, an objective truth not a, and this is what people do. Oh, they have so many, they have such a tormented mind and their mind's all over the place. It's like a, like a bicycle wheel spinning all over the place and they feel like they can't land and they can't focus and they, they just don't have enough bandwidth to deal with life. They go, okay, well, <laughs> the only way you can slow that bicycle wheel down, the only way you can find what you're really supposed to focus on the only way you can really iron out all of these distractions and kill all the fires around it is to not search yourself a subjective truth. Because that's where people land. They go like, well, this is my truth. Even though it's against the truth. The only possible way for you to find the actual thing you're supposed to be thinking about, focusing on, making a priority, and how to know what not to think of and what to ignore is to go to the objective truth of scriptures. Let the scripture tell us what to think. Think God's thoughts after him. My ways are higher than your ways like the heavens are higher than 
the earth. My thoughts are as high as your thoughts are low. And we need to know that the difference between a um, old man and a new man is a renewed mind. He says, let go of that old man of yours. There's a new man on the other side of a renewed mind. So how the mind and what we choose to do with our minds matter. First is that the, we want to look at the mind freedom connection, how your freedom is connected to your mind. And while I thought about this, I thought, you're like, why do Christians claim that they're free? Have you ever wondered about that? <laughs> the Christian goes, I'm free, free at last. Thank God I'm free. When in fact, you have all these commands to obey. You have these principles to live by. God calls you to a higher standard, but I thought I was free. Well, you have all this wisdom that you have to apply in life, but I thought I was free to do whatever I want. How about this? You have a future judgment awaiting you. <laughs> How free are you really? Huh? Yeah, I'm free. Really? Well, it is true. You are free, but I want to I identify and explain and articulate what that freedom is that you have as a Christian. You see, the reason Christians claim they are free is because they have been transformed from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. And the way to explain this in layman's terms is think about this. Um, <clears throat> watching a football game on TV to me is torture. Literally. You know what's more torturous than watching a football game? A baseball game. At least somebody gets hurt during football. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't watch a movie if somebody doesn't like get shot like within the first five minutes, right? And there's some action. I want fast cars. I want airplanes. People jump off stuff. Now you got me. Forget the storyline. I want to see the action. <laughs> and the same thing is truthful. Like when you watch... Man, I don't know how people do it. It's a very popular game, baseball, but people will sit in front of TV and watch it. Now, you may absolutely love sitting down and watching a, a football game. You may love that. But let's say, for instance, you and I worked at the same company, and the boss comes in one, uh, one day, and he says, hey, by the way, you guys, I know it's Wednesday, but this Friday coming. Guess what? We're all meeting at the, at the baseball field. We are going to spend the day watching a baseball game, and I'm paying for it. You go like, yes, I'm free. No work on Friday, and I get to go and watch a baseball game for free. This is life. Me, on the other hand, is like, oh, all day long? Are you kidding me? I'd rather work another five days straight, you know? <laughs> I'd give up five days of my vacation to not take that day off. Do <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? It's true in, in many, many areas in life. There's some things other people love doing and you just can't handle it. You just don't like it. Well, the, the point is, yeah, I know. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> <clears throat> I would interpret that experience as bondage while you interpret that experience as absolute freedom. Why? Because your loves determines 
what you define as freedom. My love determines what I define as freedom to me. And John Piper says it this way, quote, freedom is doing what you love to do if what you love to do is what you ought to do. Now you're free. This is why Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is so very important to understand and take serious. You see, when we are transformed by the renewing of the mind, Romans chapter 12 verse 2, now don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. And when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, what actually happened was that our values and our priorities changed. When we were transformed by the renewing of our minds, what actually happened was that our likes and our dislikes were rearranged. What we used to dislike, we now like. What truly happened when, in fact, when the Bible transforms our thinking, or when we are renewed in our minds by the Word of God, what transforms in us is what we used to love, we now hate. What we used to push back against and hate, we now love. So that means when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, we are free because we are now free to love as we should love. That's what happened with a transformed mind. So the conclusion, listen closely. The conclusion for this is the freest of all people are those who do exactly what they desire to do without having to go to hell for it. I love getting into the Word of God. I love spending time with God's people. Sometimes at the expense of sleep. How many of you have gotten around a cup of coffee, you started opening up the Bible with friends, and then the next thing is like, oh, it's two in the morning. (laughs) So the first is that the mind is very connected to your freedom. Let me just say it this way. If If you are not going to be diligent at renewing your thought life and getting your thought life into order. Your whole life will be disordered. You cannot have a completely disordered mind and thinking and mindset with a completely ordered life. Why don't you rather make a priority of ordering your thoughts according to God's thoughts and so create for yourself a nest without thorns? Number two, the mind-salvation connection. In other words, how the process of your salvation is actually connected to your mind. Never saw this before. But in times past, of course, we discussed the role the mind played in the fall of man. I know what Adam and Eve fell from. They fell from grace. They fell from relationship with God. How did that happen? Well, they ate from the what? The tree of the knowledge of good, not and good only, but good and evil. In other words, they participated in a knowledge that was illicit, a a knowledge God did not plan for them to have. 
So when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of both good and of evil, they lost their innocence. It's when somebody's exposed to evil, they lose their innocence. Now they have knowledge of certain evil, and God wanted to protect them from that. So we know why they fell, because they were exposed to a knowledge that was not authorized for them to have. What did they fall from? Relationship with God. So our conclusion here is that having received a forbidden knowledge results, resulted in the fall. And we're talking about how the mind is connected to salvation. But as the mind is connected to the fall, as their minds fell, they fell. <clears throat> we also see that the mind plays a role in man's redemption. In John 17, verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. The mind is key part of receiving saving faith in the regeneration process. But then here's something I never saw before. Last week we talked about the sower that sows the word, and we talked about the four kinds of soil. And when you remember, if you remember back in Matthew 13, verse 18, it says this, watch this. Talking about the first soil, okay? Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. When he hears the word and he doesn't understand it. Okay, now the devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And that man is now fruitless. So the first soil heard the word, but did not understand it, therefore couldn't exercise saving faith. And then we go to the fourth soil, the soil that actually does produce 30, 60, and 100. Very productive, very fruitful soil. What is that soil like? Matthew 13, 23, it says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So we see that it was the fourth soil that heard the gospel, understood the gospel, and then got saved because of the gospel. Their minds were not blinded, but enlightened. It's like when God opened up Lydia's heart, she could see. All right, so we see that the mind, there's a mind-salvation connection. Then we see, number three, that there's a heart-mind connection, a heart-mind connection. You see, this is how our minds are influenced by our heart. And what has been fascinating to me is how Jesus clearly shows us the root of irrational thinking. And if there's ever been a time we have seen irrational thinking, uh, it's now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Completely irrational, debased, reprobate. Good is right, I mean good is bad, bad is good. It's irrational thinking. We, the question is where does this come from? Because irrational thinking is also the root of illogical and unreasonable thinking. Somebody that cannot reason. 
And this root produces the kind of defective thinking we see in the news every day. It, see, it stems from the very heart of man, a heart that has been hardened against God. You see, hardened hearts affect the mind, causing it to no longer think. I, for one, as my personal view, I believe that the memory lies in the, in the health of the heart. In other words, when there's a pliable, soft heart that cries, Abba, Father, you'll see God-fearing men, 95 years old, and I'm like amazed at their memory. A hardened heart affects the mind, causing it to no, lo no longer think rationally. It cannot think reasonably because the heart is hard. The mind cannot think logically. And Romans chapter 1 shows us how God abandons those who hardens their heart. In Romans chapter 1, 24, watch what it says. Wherefore God also gave them up to, the, to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. The lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In other words, they filled their hearts with lusts that wasn't legal. They filled their hearts with uncleanness. They hardened their hearts towards God. In Romans 1 verse 28, we see the, res the, the, res the results thereof. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So we see that God, God abandons the person who hardens his heart. How does he abandon a person? He hands them over to a reprobate, dysfunctional mind. Now, if you want to um, be the noble Christian, go home, open up your own Bibles, and study Romans chapter 1, and you see that three times God abandons people. First, he abandons them to, their, to, a, to have a sexual revolution. That's what we saw in the 60s. A sexual revolution broke out. Why? Well, God gives them over towards, to their lusts. They were consuming lusts, and now God said, okay, well, now that lust will consume you. And then they harden their heart even more. And you'll see the second time in Romans chapter 1, God abandons them towards homosexuality and lesbianism. Men doing with men what was completely unacceptable and women doing with women what was unacceptable. But God handed them over to that because they had hardened their hearts toward God. And then the third time, it says that now God hardens them over. So in other words, first we have a, re a sexual revolution in 1960, and then we have the LGBT movement now. That's not, don't think God's not involved. And then, finally, in Romans chapter 1, it says, and then God hands them over to an irrational mind. Why? Because they hardened their hearts. They refused to acknowledge that He was God. They threw Him out of schools. They threw Him out of the courthouses. They threw Him out of everything. They do not want to know about God. You may not even talk about God and family, family meetings anymore. <laughs> and then guess what? Not only are they first given over to a sexual revolution, secondly to a homosexual revolution, but thirdly to irrational thinking. This is the process of God abandoning people who harden their hearts. Their minds no longer function. 
So this is the third connection, which is the heart-mind connection. The heart-mind connection. Harden your heart, your mind stops functioning the way it should. In Matthew 15, verse 19 through 20, it says, For out of the heart, we'll just read verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Why are people's thoughts so evil? Because their hearts are so fallen. Why are people so depraved in, in, in Romans 1? Because their hearts are so hardened. It is so important that we guard our hearts. Your mind depends on it. So our conclusion here is that the heart of man is the fountain of thoughts that flood the mind. Number four, I want to look at the mind-behavior connection, the mind-behavior connection, how our thoughts determine our behavior. You see, just like an idea comes before an invention, say that again, just like the idea came before the invention, so also our thoughts come before our actions. This is what Jesus was explaining when he said, Quote, if you have lust in your heart, it's like you have already acted out adultery. You are already guilty of the fruit now that you have cultivated this root. Trust me, that fruit is in your future. He says, if you have... In other words, Jesus judges the whole entire, the whole entire plant, the whole entire tree. When there's a fruit... Uh, when there's a root, he says, that's, that's an evil tree. All you need to do is give it time to grow. It'll eventually produce evil fruits, which will prove that he was right when he says that's an evil tree. He also says, if you have anger towards your brother, it's like you have already committed murder. It's that same root. Because those sinful acts started not in committing the act, but in thinking about it, pondering it, musing over it. Planning it, strategizing it. That's where that act starts. That's the root of the behavior. So in other words, there is a connection between what I do with my mind and what I ultimately do with my feet. There's a connection between what I do with my mind and where I allow my mind to go. There's a connection between that and what I end up doing with my hand and how I treat the people around me. Let me just say this, your greatest, the best, the healthiest marriage is the one who's healthily married in their minds. You would never get to a place of acting out adultery if you weren't first playing it out in your mind. A person would never come to a place of murdering somebody else if hatred didn't first fester in their hearts and in their minds. So the conclusion here is that we have to guard our hearts by commanding our thoughts according to scriptures. Command your thoughts according to scriptures. That's how you think God's thoughts after him. Number five is the mind love connection, the mind-love connection. So we've looked at a few thoughts. First, we started with the mind-freedom connection. There's no freedom until you have a well-ordered mind. The mind-salvation connection. God has chosen his process of bringing somebody 
to salvation is by them understanding the gospel. Number three, we talked about the heart-mind connection. And then we talked about number four, the heart or the mind-behavior connection. And now let's talk about the mind-love connection. The mind-love connection. How our minds steer the affections of our hearts. Um, You already know it's true. I almost feel like I don't have to say anything here. (laughs) But you know (laughs) that uh, if I'm going to be distracted by every other woman I see, how could my heart be affectionate towards my wife, right? It's the exclusivity of. It's like out of mind, I mean out of sight, out of mind, out of heart, out of love. But if I'm consumed with thoughts about how beautiful my wife is, how wonderful my wife is, you know, that stirs within me my affection toward her, isn't it? Look at this psalm. This is amazing. Psalm 39, verse 3, it says, While I was musing, the fire burned. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. I always say things that my heart is full of. But my heart is full of what my mind keeps on musing over. (laughs) Meditation is something that, trust me folks, it's a Christian thing. Right? It's a Bible thing. When When I read this Psalm 39, verse 3, it says, While I mused, or while I was musing, the fire was kindled. This verse made me realize the reason I sometimes feel like I have drifted away in my affection toward God is not because I I love Him less. I don't love God less now that I don't feel affectionate toward Him. Really, it is because I was thinking of Him less. You know how it is. You feel like, what happened to my affection toward the Lord? I need to love Him more. How many of you need to love God more? Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know that there there was a time when you had greater affection toward the Lord than you do right now. But it's not that you love Him less. It's that you're thinking of Him less. And that happens to me a lot. Like, wow, you know what? I feel so distracted. I feel like I'm drawn towards things in the world. Guess what is needed? I need to get into the Word. I get into the Word. An hour later, two hours later, and I'm a minister. I happen to get up to eight hours sometimes. I am so charged up with the things of God. (laughs) I forgot there was a world out there. I forgot who won the election and who lost the... I forget about some, sometimes about stuff. You get so charged up about the things of God when your mind is on Him. And guess what? The Bible also says, great peace have they whose minds are stayed on Him. Right? And so when I, when I know my affection is waning, I've got to get my mind on things of God. I need to get my mind on Scriptures. Not only when my affection is waning, when my peace disappears, when my peace goes out the window, like I need to put my mind on the things of God. And suddenly I get excited about everything burning around me. I'm like, whoo, look at what God's doing. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Wow. 
Now, you got to realize that thinking in itself is not the goal. That is not your goal. It's not my goal. But it is the means through which we can reach the goal, which is to know him more. And that is a result of thinking. To love him more, that is because of what I know about him. I love him more. And uh, to serve him more, it's a result of me renewing my mind. So your thinking is not the goal. Like, you've got to have right thoughts, right thoughts, right thoughts. The problem is, Satan has right thoughts. He knows a lot about God. <laughs> right? He knows many details about, about, about God and about the gospel and about the scriptures. And that makes him angry, not affectionate. But what we haven't realized is that we will never have hearts of fire for God while wiring our minds to our TVs and our cell phones, YouTube, and never spending time in scripture and doctrine. You see, we can't have our hearts ablaze with the love of God when we give ourselves to hours and hours of entertainment. You know, there's a reason why people entertain people who are in Hollywood, who do acting for a living, disproportionately so, turn out really crooked. How would you like to be very prominent having, a comp having produced really nothing? But one of the things that makes you most sane is when you turn around and you go to your neighbor and you preach the gospel. Or when you roll up your sleeves and you say, God, I'm going to do something for you, no matter how insignificant it may seem in comparison to uh, all the washed up Hollywood actors. Uh, do you follow what I'm saying? It's the, it's the significance of what we do that plays out in our minds. You can't, everything you do to your body plays out in your mind. Have you ever seen a really peaceful, joyful prostitute? You don't. They're not there. What you do to your body, it plays out in your mind, what you've, the decisions you make. So what I'm saying is getting involved with some very, uh, with eternal matters is one of the most uh, sane, uh, one of the things you can do that will bring you to the most sane places in life. I hope that makes sense. My thoughts lead to my affections. My affections result in actions. I want to close today by reading to you um, this promise. This promise is Joshua 1, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it, day and night. You know, in the second year of Bible school, we're doing eschatology, and we're talking about in, in, I believe it's chapter 13, Revelation, it talks about the mark of the beast, 666, they'll take it on their foreheads, they'll take it on their right hands. And anybody who takes this mark, you cannot buy or sell without taking this, this shot, you know. <laughs> you, 
you have to take this jab, otherwise you can't come and do business here, kind of thing. But, peop, but in Revelation chapter 13, it talks about taking this mark. And, but I never knew it. This mark on the forehead and the right hand, what you're thinking about and what you do, or who you're thinking about and who you're doing it for. Because in slavery, throughout, in, throughout Bible times, people would be marked with like a tattoo that shows who, whose they are, who they belong to. Revelation chapter 13. And then you go to Revelation chapter 14, and then it talks about, and then it's uh, opposed to those or compared to those in the next chapter who have the mark of the lamb on their forehead. <laughs> right? And you know, in, in Jewish custom, they, they carry the little box right on the front of the mind, on the forefront of the mind, and what you're absolutely aware of at all times, that is what's at the forefront of the mind. And in that little box, there's a roll of scriptures. And then they also wrap it around their hand. Because it's so important for us to realize that when, if this book of the law shall not depart from our mouth, but if you shall meditate in a day and night. Why? Why meditate in a day and night? So that you may be careful to do, to, to do according to all that is written in it. For then, when? When it's been on your mouth, because you've meditated on it, and therefore you've been doing according to it. In other words, you're thinking God's thoughts after Him. Therefore, you're speaking like God would have spoken. Therefore, you do what you know God is pleased with you doing. That's what it's saying. Then here comes a, prof a promise. For then, when you have done this, you will make your way prosperous. What? You will make your way prosperous. And then you will have success. God's definition of success. You will have that. You will be a fruitful, productive individual in the kingdom of God, leaving behind you this enormous wake of eternal accomplishments which brings you to the most sane place you could ever be. You see, you don't have to have a thought. Well, let me say it this way. You don't think certain things because you're anxious. You don't think certain things because you're anxious. You're anxious because you're thinking certain things, right? When you order your mind, so you are ordering your emotions. When you're ordering your mind, you're ordering your mouth. That's what it said right there in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. You're ordering your mouth when you've ordered your mind. You've ordered your emotions when you've ordered your mind. You've ordered your affections when you've ordered your mind. You've ordered your desires when you've ordered your mind. You've ordered your steps when you've ordered your mind. And you've managed your fears because you've ordered your mind. It's so important for us to realize that God gave us minds 
and he's going to hold us accountable to what we do with that real estate. Don't give people place to live in your mind that shouldn't be there. God has revealed himself in words for us to understand. Your mind matters. And I want to say this, that uh, as, I was, as I was reading through, and of course we don't have enough time to really do a deep, deep study in this in one morning, but we will continue. However, <clears throat> while I was looking at the absolute priority scriptures gives to all we need to do with our mind, um, I was just really encouraged towards next year Next year, starting in January, we're going to do a Bible reading challenge as we read through the Bible together. And um, I really want you to know about that and look forward to it because I would really love for you to participate. I don't think there's a more important thing you can do for your 2023 than ordering your mind. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word is truth. Your word is spirit-filled. Your word is your will. And when I embrace your word, I'm embrace, I am receiving your spirit. When I'm submitting to your word, I am submitting to your authority. When I follow your word and obey it, I am obeying your guidance. When I know your word, I am filling myself with divine wisdom from on high. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You've given it to us. You've sanctified us with it. And today, Father, as you have placed your word above yourself, <clears throat> we too, Father God, will submit ourselves under your word. In Jesus' name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word? Amen. Amen.